Hello and welcome to the commentary for lesson 376. This is Isaiah chapter 2. So this is an exciting passage. There's a lot of meat here. And I just want to share with you kind of how I go into, how I approach studying the Bible. If the passage seems pretty straightforward, I will just typically go to my study Bible. See if there's anything there worth noting. See if there's any maybe other biblical text I can bring into reference uh, and compare it with that. Um, but if I need to do, if I feel like there's layers there or I want to dig deeper, I will go oftentimes to Easy English Bible Commentary online. Now, it's not always the easiest to navigate or to read, but it's very helpful and very insightful um, because it goes verse by verse. So that's what I did today. I also did, I also will reference my study Bible just a tad and I will be looking at, I'll be sharing something from my Rose publishing book, um, Rose book of Bible charts, maps, and timelines. That's like a reference book that I absolutely love and highly recommend if you're really into studying the Bible. So, okay. Anyways, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. Right off the bat, it says, This is a vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, I appreciate something that Easy English did, and that is that it kind of looks a little deeper into the word saw. What does it mean that Isaiah saw something concerning Judah and Jerusalem? Um, well, the New Living Translation that we're reading it does say a vision, but in the NIV, it doesn't. It just says that he saw something, okay? But anyways, the word saw here means understood. And the original meaning of the Hebrew word was to split something open in order to see what's inside. Sort of like breaking open a nutshell and seeing the nut inside, okay? So what the commentary says is that Isaiah saw what was happening in his country. But Isaiah didn't just see what was happening on the outside of those things that were happening. He also saw what was happening on the inside. And so God gave Isaiah revelation um, and insight, but Isaiah also had a very good understanding of the history of the Israelite people. And so, you know, funny thing about history, it tends to repeat itself if you're not careful. So that makes sense that God used Isaiah as a prophet to warn the people because he had a good understanding of their history and he would know what it all meant. He would be able to make sense of what was about to come. He also understood the promises of God. Um, so that was important. Okay, so I'm going to start with reading the key passage, I believe, is verses 2 through 5 here. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. 
His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So this is about the ideal Jerusalem, right? As God intended it to be. Now, when Christ returns, Jerusalem will be like this. Um, The new Jerusalem will be on the new earth and God's people will live there. Um, That is something of a mystery. And I know that some people believe that when scripture talks about a new heaven and a new earth, it's that we will be raised to live on on like a different planet. Um, Others believe that this earth will be the earth we live on now will be reformed somehow. Honestly, I have no idea. It is worth noting that the prophet Micah writes a passage nearly identical to this in Micah 4 verses 1 through 4. So if it sounded familiar as we were reading it, it is because we've already gone through that that, uh, scripture as well. But because those two are so similar, you have to wonder why they're so similar. Um, Bible scholars are not really sure who wrote it first. Uh, Some say that maybe both are repeating words from a popular poem. They don't know. But anyways, there's more about this passage that I think I'll come back to at the end of today's lesson. But let's move on to um, verses 6 through 21. Isaiah is basically describing in this scripture what Israel was like during his lifetime, what he saw, the problems of uh, the religious rituals and such, okay? So verses six through eight, you know, they were a wealthy nation. It tells us they had lots of silver and gold and they had a very strong army, but they imitate the religious practices of the Canaanites, the Assyrians, the Philistines, right? They're, they've been worshiping false gods. We've seen that throughout scripture lately. And they're making alliances with pagans. They're basically putting their trust in other nations instead of God. Verse 6 says that they filled their land with practices from the east and with sorcerers. Okay, now let's dig into this, this idea that they were using sorcerers. What exactly does that mean? I'm going to read a little bit from my study Bible. It says that these magicians and sorcerers claim to know and control the future by the power of demons or by interpreting omens. Okay, so of course we know God doesn't like that. He made that perfectly clear way back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? Um, But here's another thing that my study Bible says. It says, During the more sinful periods of their history, the people of Israel worshipped pagan gods along with Yahweh and even gave them Hebrew names. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine Hebrew names attached to pagan gods? How offensive that must have been to God. I mean, talk about off the tracks. So then verses 9 through 11 Isaiah starts talking about how the people are prideful and arrogant. And in verse 9, he says, so now they will be humbled. And to the Lord, he says, do not forgive them. So this is interesting because 
we've seen Abraham and Moses intercede on behalf of the people of Israel, right? They asked God to have mercy on them. But here, Isaiah isn't doing that. He's asking God not to forgive them. So imagine God's response when his prophet turns from warning the people to saying, go ahead, God, punish them. They deserve it. That's kind of crazy. So, okay, verse 11. Human pride will be brought down and human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. Then we go to verses 12 through 22. And this is all about God's judgment, the day of reckoning. And verse 15 says, He will break down every high tower and every fortified wall. Now this is prophetic word from Isaiah. He could be referencing something that happens much later. We've talked about this before. When Judah, the southern kingdom, is conquered by the Babylonians. That happens in 586 B.C. Now, during that time, the temple of God and the holy city of Jerusalem were destroyed. Now, here's what's cool. According to the Bible timeline that I have in my Rose book, um, Isaiah's ministry lasted from about 760 B.C. to 673 B.C. That is about 87 years. Okay? And Babylon conquered Jerusalem 87 years after that in 586 B.C. So isn't that interesting that Isaiah's ministry lasts 87 years and that 87 years after his ministry ends, Babylon conquers Jerusalem. I just, God does strange things with numbers sometimes. So that was interesting to me. Okay. Now here's a couple things that stood out to me. In, if we back up, I told you I'd go back to verses two through five, where it talks about the way Jerusalem should be, the way God intended it, right? In verse 2, it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. Okay, the Lord's house means the holy temple, right, in Jerusalem. The most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. Okay, now, of course, this could be figurative. It will be raised above other hills. Means it will be magnified. It will be glorified. It will be um, thought more highly of than any other place, right? But it could also be literal. And the reason I say that is because if you go to verse uh, later in the same chapter, verse 19, it says, when the Lord rises to shake the earth, Okay, and then go down to verse 21. It says, They will try to escape the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty as he rises to shake the earth. So God is going to shake the earth. And doesn't it make sense that an earthquake could literally change the landscape in such a way that the holy temple literally rises? And... If you think that through, wouldn't that be amazing? And wouldn't everyone notice that? And wouldn't they flock there? All God's people would recognize, oh, this is a major moment. Verse 3, people from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. Wouldn't that be amazing? We talked about the Dome of the Rock before, 
Okay, so here's what I want to read from, again, my Rose, uh, like my reference book. The temple was completely destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. So it was destroyed again. Okay, because we know that it was destroyed by the Babylonians. Herod rebuilt it, right? And he built it bigger, better. And then it was destroyed again by the Romans. Okay, six centuries later, Muslims built a shrine called the Dome of the Rock on the vacant Temple Mount. Okay, that still exists today. Many scholars conclude that the exact location of the temple can no longer be found. However, in the bedrock beneath the Dome of the Rock, trenches were discovered cut into the rock. Now, you can go onto YouTube and you can find videos of them exploring and excavating these tunnels under the Dome of the Rock. It's very interesting to me. And maybe you'll find it interesting too. But I feel like there's something there. Something's going to happen at this place. And in order for this prophecy to be fulfilled, that building, the Dome of the Rock, will have to crumble. And what better way than an earthquake to crumble that and raise it, right? Wouldn't that show the power of God? Now, we do know that there is often dual meaning in Scripture. So when it's talking about this day of reckoning and God's judgment and this earthquake and human pride being humbled, well, of course that was relevant then. In Isaiah's day, he told us all the atrocious things that were going on there during that time. But this could very easily have a dual meaning, as God so often likes to do. And I think he does that um, for those that he decides to reveal this truth to, people that are seeking. You know, if we seek, we shall find. Knock and the door is open to you. If we ask for wisdom, he will give it to us. So those of us that are looking for these answers, we're the ones he reveals it to, right? I don't advertise this study because I feel very strongly that if you're looking for it, you will find it. And if you're looking for it, then you deserve to gain the wisdom that you get from this study. So I hope it is helpful um, to people in understanding that. And, and if nothing else, maybe inspiring you guys to study it for yourself more intensely and get excited about it because there's so much depth to God's word. And it's not the same hearing it, going through a Bible study and reading a Bible study book, it's helpful and nice, but it's never going to give you what actually sitting down and reading the Bible and God revealing things to you personally. Remember, I always say, you know, we get exactly, God gives us exactly what we need when we need it. Exactly what we are personally ready for. And what we're not personally ready for, he won't reveal to us through scripture. So in that way, I just feel that the Bible is just so personal and it just, I'm in awe of how God does that through the word. Okay. A couple things that stood out for me personally, we always got to have a takeaway, right? Um, of course, the enormity of that prophecy and how it seems likely that it would have a dual meaning. Um, but for me personally, I think, you know, when we look at how prideful and arrogant they were. Verse 17 says, human pride will be humbled and human arrogance will be brought down. You know, I think we could think to ourselves, am I being prideful? God is revealing to me lately that 
I'm way too focused in my doing and not enough in my being, right? I, having been a stay-at-home mom for so long, I was so excited to get back out there into the working world and I applied to a job that I desperately wanted and I didn't get it and that was heartbreaking to me. However, I had prayed that God, if that's where you want me to be, then open the door. If it's not where you want me to be, if you have something else for me, because obviously his plan is better than mine. So if he has something else, then close the door. And so I've accepted that. He closed that door. I believe that he has something better for me, but it's not just about what I do. And I feel like that's what he's trying to get through to me. And God has funny ways of getting through to us. (laughs) Maybe I'll tell you that story. Um, But I am definitely too focused on what I do. I'm trying to find purpose, right? I'm trying to do something spectacular or important for God when really I just need to marinate in the idea that I am his and focus more on my being and less on my doing because who I am and whose I am, that should be what defines me, not what I do. So um, also, another thing that's a good takeaway is verse 22 says, don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath. What good are they? That's definitely a takeaway. You know, I've said before, people are just people. And if we rely on people to give us that confidence that we need, they will always fall short. If we're relying on their words of affirmation, on their gifts, on the things they can do for us, it's always going to fall short, even the good people in our lives. They will disappoint us. Um, But we know that there is only one way to get that wholeness, and that is from God. So we went a little long today, but that was a great lesson. I hope you all have a great day, and I will talk to you soon.